While we were on vacation last week, our kids were watching a cartoon. They liked having regular television for a change. So I learned that it was called Doc McStuffins on Disney Junior. And from the bits that I caught, there was a toy astronaut who was made to go up in his, in his rocket and then crash land, and then his arms and legs were made to pop off. And so apparently this was the first time that this had happened with this toy astronaut, and so up to the air he went, down he came, and all apart he came in five different pieces, the torso with two arms and two legs. And so his friends picked him up and they took him to Doc McStuffins, who was about four or five years old, and she diagnosed his problem as fall apartitude. But with the help of her nurse, the doctor popped his arms and legs back into place and he was as good as new until, of course, the next time that he blasted off and crash-landed. Well, not unlike some churches today, first-century churches could have been diagnosed with fall apartitude. The letter we call Ephesians was probably a circular letter. It went to Ephesus first and then um, to other congregations all around the, the territory. It was to help them grow in their relationships with Jesus Christ and with one another. And today's passage has a lot to do with growth, with maturity. And I think it's a, um, it's a good time of year to think about that because some of us are getting in tomatoes and some of us are getting in green beans and maybe a few other things. But then we also have the images that we may have seen on television or in the paper of the dead corn stalks in the Midwest. So we have this image of what happens when life is not nurtured. Growth stops, decline, and then death occur. And the author of Ephesians doesn't want that to happen, of course. And so he directs the churches then and us today still toward pathways to life to maturity, to bearing fruit, and thereby sustaining others. In the last day's newsletter, Leonard Ravenhill tells about a group of tourists visiting a picturesque village, and they walk by an old man sitting on a fence, and in a rather patronizing way, one of the tourists asked, were any great men born in this village? And the old man replied, no, sir. Only babies. (laughs) And what a great reminder for us, I think, that we all start as babies. And and that this maturing, this growth comes over time. It takes time and it takes labor. For some of us, real labor. (laughs) To mature from babies to children to adolescents to adults. And probably there are some of us who can name people who got stuck in one stage, even though their age surpassed it, they kind of got stuck as a child or an adolescent. It takes time and labor to sustain any long-term connection with coworkers, with life partners, with parents and children, and with the church. And the author of this letter has spent the first three chapters talking about what Jesus has done on the church's behalf. And so now it begins with the word therefore. 
I therefore, and we're taken to understand what this means for our daily lives. It's practical application. And in the early part of this section, the author offers several ingredients that guide us to avoid fall apartitude and attain this unity for which he's calling. There are five of them. Humility, gentleness, patience, love, and unity. So listen again to the first few verses. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And after he speaks of unity, we get these two verses that have all the ones in them. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But, another transition word, each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. So the author is retrieving the image of the gifts of Christ and using them to inspire us to follow him in humility, in gentleness, in patience, in love, and in unity. So I want to offer you a few vignettes that picture for you some of these. I was having a conversation with a student at Baptist Theological Seminary at Richmond, and he had been involved in the Upward Challenge League. And in that league, each disabled child has a helper on the floor. And he watched as one girl who was better than all the rest line up for her shot and then stop and hand off the ball to one of the players who was not as good. Humility leads a person to recognize that there are more important goals than winning, that helping each other do his or her best is a part of humility. Now, as far as gentleness goes, we may be able to picture what gentle, better able to picture what gentleness is not than what it is. There was a story about a mother of three teenage sons who did not get along very well, and yet they would never confess or tell on each other when punishment was in order. And a friend asked the woman, how did you figure out which one to punish. And the mother said, I just send all three to bed without supper, and the next morning I ground the one with the black eye. (laughs) Gentleness is not injury. It's the opposite of hurting another person. Gentleness may be a soft touch. It may be listening instead of speaking. It's sharing a burden when another is tired of carrying it alone. It's embracing or inviting instead of pushing away. It's Jesus blessing the children, touching the leper, 
welcoming the outcasts. All this he does with gentleness. What about patience? When someone has wronged you, for example. There's a story about a project manager at IBM who lost the company $10 million. And the man walked into the president's office and said, I am so sorry. I know you'll want my resignation. I'll be gone by the end of the day. And the president's response showed his understanding of the value of failure in this case. He said, are you kidding? We've just invested $10 million in your education. We're not about to let you go. Now get back to work. The disciples made quite a few mistakes, and Jesus was so patient with them, teaching them the same lesson over and over, and not that he didn't get annoyed with them now and then, but he also didn't kick them off the team. He's patient with us as well. The fourth offering is a mixture of the third and fifth, And my translation is bearing with one another in love. It seems to be a combination of patience and unity coming together to this fourth one, bearing with one another in love. William Barker tells about a small town in Tennessee that had a place of worship with a sign in front of it that said, Left Foot Baptist Church. And a student questioned this until he found out that there were, a number of years ago, there were, had been a split in a congregation which practiced foot washing. And the argument broke out about which foot should be washed first. And so the, bro- the one that broke away obviously insisted that the left foot should be washed first. And so it became Left Foot Baptist Church. A better example for us is the Punjabi term Sarbat Dabala. It means, may everyone be blessed, or may good come to all. We can't help but mourn the deaths of the worshipers at the Sikh temple who were gunned down last week outside Milwaukee, and think a little bit more about safety in our own sanctuary. But this idea of Sarbat Dabala is something that asks deity to bless everyone in the world. And so it, from my reading, the gurus have set a new standard for the Sikhs. Not only should they pray for their own well-being, but there is a need for them to ask for the blessing of all the peoples of the world. What a gift that is to know that we are being prayed for by people who believe so differently from us. We may gain a new understanding of unity when we consider that and begin praying for them as well. The nominating committee has been working hard to connect people with places for their gifts to be used. And when each of us uses our gifts well, the body of Christ does not suffer from fall apartitude, but perhaps from pull-togetheritude, unity. 
verse 13, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. One last story. A mother, excuse me, a mother and baby camel are talking one day when the baby camel asks, Mom, why have I got all these huge three-toed feet? And the mother says, well, so when we trek across the desert, your toes will help you stay on top of the soft sand. The young camel asks a few minutes later, what, why then do I have these long eyelashes? Well, they're there to keep the sand out of your eyes on the trips through the desert. Why do I have these humps on my back? Well, those help us store water for our long treks across the desert so we can go without drinking for long periods. So, the sun says, we have huge feet to stop us from sinking, long eyelashes to keep the sand out of our eyes, and these humps to store water. Yes, sun. So, why are we in the San Diego Zoo? Translation, why are we here in the church? If we have received all of these gifts and more from God, why are we inside? We are enough on our own, Calvary Baptist Church, but we can be more, we can do more with the people beyond these walls who need to know about Jesus' humility, gentleness, patience, love, and unity. It's important to come together to be strengthened by each other and by God, but it's also important to get out of the zoo. Go, teach, love, give, invite, welcome, encourage, bless. Let's pray. For our many gifts, O Lord, we thank you. Give us courage and wisdom to use them well for the sake of your kingdom and this body of Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.